Hello and welcome back or welcome back to Absolutely Thriving with me, your host, Charlotte. I hope everyone is doing well. I can't believe that it's finally December when this episode comes out. I'm actually recording on the Sunday before this goes up, so three days before. Yes, I am well aware that I have slept on my schedule, but it's okay. This year has gone so fast. It's actually insane. I'd say that this has probably been one of the most eventful years of my life. And it's definitely been one of the most formative years in terms of my growth of like just life in general. I just literally feel like a completely different person than who I was at the start of this year. And I think that's a really satisfying feeling. I think I've come a long way in my sort of journey of self-discovery and growth. I'm never using that phrase again, that's disgusting. Ew. But quite honestly, I feel like I'm actually starting to get over the things that hurt me really quite badly many moons ago. I'll do a more in-depth summary of my lessons learned this year in the next, either the next episode or the one after. Um, but yeah, we do be vibing. 2021 was an interesting year. So, my week in review. I've been a little busy bee this week. I did my first 22-hour shift block. So, two 12-hour shifts. But because you have an hour break, it's 22 hours at the end. I know. Um, it's kind of intense. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I did enjoy it, though. Well, most of it, obviously. There are ups and downs with any job, especially when you're dealing with poo. Um, but it works much better with my schedule and it gets it all done very nice and swiftly. I genuinely do love it. I've realised that I am actually quite a caring person. <laughs> like, I always knew that I, like, actually did care about people, but not quite to the extent that I think I do now. And that's not me trying to say that I'm a better person than everyone or anything like that. I just realised that I really want to try and make a difference to people and make them happy and I think my job really means quite a lot to me so yeah that's all fun and games um last weekend I also had a very social week I went to see my friend in Cambridge on Friday night had a very good time took the train at 7am on Saturday to get back to London to do a work shift for eight hours then I went out again saw my friends for a birthday dinner which was very nice this weekend just gone I worked well I went and saw my friend on Friday night then I worked all day Saturday and all day today and I got rung by the care home this evening and they've said that someone's cancelled and would I mind working tomorrow instead of either Tuesday or Wednesday this week when I was due to work and me being the pushover that I am I said yes obviously um so yeah I'm going to be working at least three days in a row, possibly four. But hey-ho, such is life. We do things sometimes, it's hard. But I'm actually not feeling too bad. Today's work shift was actually pretty chill. So I'm going to be okay. So yeah, I'm feeling good financially, at least. Um, and I'm feeling like I'm actually doing stuff with my life. So that's great. Obviously, the whole COVID situation is a little bit stressful. I can't deny. Um, But we'll see how that goes as 
nothing that we can do at the moment, is there? But I won't be going skiing in Switzerland, so that's a bit sad. But anyway, that is a very first world problem, and I'm still going to just go and stay with my boyfriend for a few days. So yeah. I'm also just meeting a lot of really nice people through my hospitality work at the moment, so my social life is kind of booming. Um, so yeah, all in all, life is pretty good. Busy but fun is probably how I would summarise it. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the year, really, because December is going to be even busier than November. So, who's excited? Me. Okay. So, today, or tonight even, because I'm recording this at about eight o'clock, um, we're going to talk about books, because I love books. And if you didn't already know, Reading is basically my favourite hobby and gives me a lot of joy. And I've read a lot this year. At this exact point in time, I have read 88 books. Um, by the end of the year, I'm hopefully going to have reached 90 because that just sounds more satisfying. Um, and we do have a month left, so I should do that okay. So today I'm just going to discuss every book that I've read, well, I'm not going to discuss, I'm going to give you the list of all the books that I've read this year, and I'm also going to give you my top 10 of those, and yeah, I'm just going to chat about reading, basically, um, and that's about it. <laughs> so, you're as avid a reader as me, and you want some new good book recommendations, grab yourself a tea, a coffee, some water, a biscuit, I don't know, whatever you want, and let's just dive on into it. So let's start at the beginning. Obviously, I started reading at the sort of normal age of like three or four, maybe five. I can't remember. I don't know. Um, I'd say I was quite an average level of competency. Like, I don't think I struggled too much as far as I remember, but I was very average. I didn't really have my intellectual glow up until I was about 11. So I kind of struggled with school um, until that point. <laughs> then I think in about year four or five was when I actually started to get into reading. And I remember I literally just used to sit and just read all Sunday afternoon when I'd done my homework. Oh, gone in the days. I wish I could just do that now. I used to love people like Michael Morpurgo. His books just slapped. Uh, I also liked to read a lot of classics kind of back on the day, kind of random, but I remember reading like Little Women, Heidi, Anne of Green Gables, all the usual like young fiction girl classic novels. Then when I first went to boarding school at the ripe old age of 13, I basically didn't read for the first two years, which is just tragic. All the books that I missed out on totally made me weep um, because I just didn't prioritise reading and I was too busy, I don't even know, just like, not reading. Um, probably I was just too preoccupied with my phone and social media because, yes, I was one of those people. Um, but then in my GCSE year, I started reading psychology books because I realised that I had a real genuine interest in psychology um, and it completely just got me back into reading. And since then, I've basically been manically reading. <laughs> I will literally read anything. Fiction, non-fiction, science, philosophy, classic literature, Nobel literature, 
literature prize or trashy novel. I just love books. They're the best form of escapism that the world has to offer. So in summary, I love reading. It's basically my favourite thing to do. And quite honestly, I wouldn't substitute it with anything. So, as I record this on the 28th of December, obviously the year is not yet up. It's actually over in a month. But as we all know, I'm probably going to take a break for a little bit. um, Because I just want to take some time off and chill. Like, not like this is a chill or anything. Um, But I'm going to just be really busy and I just, you know... I'll probably record some episodes, I'm just not going to upload them probably until the new year. But anyway, no one really cares. Um, the point is, these are the books that I've read at this point in time, a month before 2021 actually ends, so I'm sorry, it's kind of cheating, but anyway, no one cares. Okay, let's go through the 88 books that I read this year, and then I'm going to tell you my top 10 and explain why I like them, and a little summary in case you want to eat them. Okay, let's go. I'm not going to tell you the authors because I forgot to write them down and there was no way that I was going to go through my house and find all 88 books and as well I borrowed them from friends and my boyfriend. I could have just googled them but I was lazy when I did this and it's copied and pasted from my notes app on my phone it was just not happening. Okay I'm sorry. If you want to find them look them up. (laughs) I'm sure they'll come up. Okay anyway number one no need to diet book Number two, how emotions are made. Number three, body positive power. Number four, the selfish gene. Number five, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Number six, the gendered brain. Number seven, a clockwork orange. Number eight, untamed. Number nine, consciousness explained. Number 10, the miscreants. Number 11, the age of innocence. Number 12, natives. Number 13, The Collector. Number 14, Girl, Woman, Other. Number 15, Runaway. Number 16, Cyrano de Bergerac. Yes, I, disclaimer, I had to read that for my French um, pre. I didn't read that out of choice, but I thought I'd include it because I did read the whole book. (laughs) Number 17, Giovanni's Room. Number 18, Sapiens. Number 19, the Beautiful and the Damned. Number 20, A Room with a View. Number 21, Metamorphosis. 22, Doing Good Better. 23, The English Patient. 24, The Awakening. 25, The Body's Not an Apology. 26, Green Hills of Africa. 27, Problems of Philosophy. 28, More Than a Body. 29, Only Time Will Tell. 30, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. 31, how to be both. 32, Siddhartha. 33, The Song of Achilles. 34, The Prince. 35, The Midnight Library. 36, The Symposium. 37, The Outsider, as in L'Etranger by Camus, in case you were wondering. 38, Conclave. 39, Just Eat It. 40, The Sins of the Father. 41, I've lost my place. The Body Keeps School. 42, A Single Man. 43, The Uninhabitable Earth. 44, This Is Going to Hurt. 45, Queenie. 46, Where the Crawdads Sing. 47, Almost Japanese. 48, The Falling Angels. 
49, How the Mind Works. 50, Selected Works of Tennyson. 51, Pride and Prejudice. 52, The Comfort Book. 53, Officer and a Spy. 54, The End of the Affair. 55, Queer. Need to scroll down. I do apologise. <laughs> My books are so eclectic. Okay, just, just wait for this bit. Okay. 56, The Communist Manifesto. 57, The Grapes of Wrath. 58, The Art of Loving. 59, The Tao of Pooh. 60, The Path. 61, To Have or To Be. 62, The Magus. 63, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. 64, Clara and the Sun. 65, Being a Nothingness. 66, Beloved. 67, Why Vegan. 68, A Room of One's Own. 69, Possession. 70, Catch 22. 71, Will You Please Be Quiet Please. 72, Decline and Fall. 73, If on a Winter's Night a Traveller. 74, Fictions. 75, The Name of the Rose. 76, The Queen's Gambit. 77, The Heart Goes Last. 78, A Movable Feast. 79, Very Good Jeeves. 80, Food Rules. 81, No One Is Too Small To Make A Difference. 82, 21 Latins. 21 Latin. Why can't I talk? 21 Letters on Life and Its Challenges. <laughs> 83, Things I Learned on the 628. 84, Circe. 85, We Were Liars. 86, The Moonstone. 87, 28 Summers. And 88, The Flat Share. Jeez. Right. So, <laughs> my books of the year. There's quite a lot there. <laughs> um, especially when you sort of say them all out loud in one go. Also, for context, um, these were read throughout doing my A-levels at school. So, to be honest, I'm quite impressed with myself. No one I... Actually, no, that's so true. I was about to say, no one I know has read as many books as this. But I'm sure there are definitely more people that I know that have read this. They just haven't announced it to the world that I have. Obviously, people are going to have read more, or whatever goes out saying. Um, but people will have read less. So I'm still pleased with myself, and let me have it, please. <laughs> so, in order to, you know, I'm not going to talk about every single one of those 88 books because we'd be here for a long time, and no one really cares that much. So, I'm going to give you my short list of 10 books that really just resonated with me this year and that I absolutely enjoyed. And this was actually a really challenging exercise because there were definitely more than 10 that I absolutely adored. Um, I probably should have done 20, to be honest. But when I started doing this, I was feeling lazy. So I only did 10. Um, and to be honest, my rationale for why I like them isn't the most in depth. So I do apologise about that. But all in all, if they sound interesting, I'm going to give you a synopsis. I recommend you read them. So yeah. Let's get into it. Okay, so first on my list, I have Untamed by Glenn Doyle. And I also give you the authors for these, so <laughs> you're welcome. At least you have authors for ten of them. So yeah, number one, Untamed by Glenn Doyle. So I'm going to be giving you a summary that Goodreads provide because I don't want it to be inaccurate. Um, and I, to be honest, probably forgotten some details from these books. So, here we go. 
soulful and uproarious, forceful and tender. Untamed is both an intimate memoir and a galvanising wake-up call. It's the story of how one woman learned that she, a responsible mother is not one who slowly dies for her children, but one who shows them how to fully live. It is the story of navigating divorce, forming a newly blended family, and discovering that the brokenness or wholeness of a family depends not on its structure, but on each member's ability to bring her full self to the table. And it's the story of how each of us can begin to trust ourselves enough to set boundaries, make peace with our bodies, honour our anger and heartbreak, and unleash us trust, whilst instincts, so that we become women who can finally look ourselves and say, there she is. A nice summary. God, someone good reads a paywise. Okay, so I love this book because I just thought it was such a thought-provoking piece of work. Like, she talks so much in depth about things like sexuality, what it means to be an ally to different communities, eating disorders, addiction, recovery, the whole package. And I think I just picked up so many different pockets of wisdom from her. Like, on the surface, we really don't have that much in common because she's, you know, a mother with children in a gay relationship. Um, but she just talks so effortlessly about some of the elements of quintessential femininity and I honestly couldn't put this book down and it's annotated very heavily and I don't really annotate books so that kind of speaks volumes so a 10 out of 10 from me the second book that I'm going to recommend is Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo so here's a quick summary teeming with life and crackling with energy a love song to modern Britain and black womanhood Girl, Woman, Other follows the lives and struggles of 12 very different characters. Mostly women, black and British, they tell stories of their families, friends and lovers across the country and through the years. Joyfully polyphonic and vibrantly contemporary, this is a gloriously new kind of history, a novel of our times, celebratory, ever dynamic and utterly irresistible. Um, this book was again just amazing i'm gonna say that about all of these 10 books because they just all are incredible um i just loved how effortlessly the lives of these women intertwine and contrast it just makes for such a satisfying read and the writing is just chef's kiss i think the stories were all very powerful in their own ways um it definitely deserved the book prize and i'm really glad that it won because we love to see it we love a woman getting recognition, especially someone in the black community. And especially someone who's writing about something a bit controversial as well. Like, just in terms of the subjects that she covers. I haven't really ever read a book that covers quite the same extent of different social issues that she does in this book. Um, I, yeah, I just think it exposes a lot of the trials that black women have to go through and really just opens your eyes to just how dark the world can be i'm pretty sure they're all based on real stories as well so that just makes it even more powerful so again really would recommend beautiful beautiful book um yeah that's about it really <laughs> just read it <laughs> next one is giovanni's room by james baldwin you know what's coming let's go with the summary Baldwin's haunting and controversial second novel is his most sustained treatment of sexuality and a classic gay literature. In 1950s Paris, swarming with expatriates, 
and characterised by dangerous liaisons and hidden violence, an American finds himself unable to repress his impulses, despite his determination to live the conventional life he envisions for himself. After meeting and proposing to a young woman, he falls into a lengthy affair with an Italian bartender and is confounded and tortured by his sexual identity as he oscillates between the two. Oh, goodness. Examining the mystery of love and passion in an intensely imagined narrative, Baldwin creates a moving and complex story of death and desire that is revelatory in its insight. Goodreads really pulled through these summaries. Can we just take a moment? Absolutely love to see it. Basically, this book is just beautiful. <laughs> it's so heartwarming and honestly just an iconic piece of LGBTQ plus literature. It's a really fast paced book, in my opinion, um, and I was sort of hooked from the get go. Baldwin just writes so beautifully and you just get such a vivid picture of the protagonist and his plight. The setting is also incredibly idyllic as it's set in 1950s Paris. Like, what more do you want from a book? Um, so it makes for just such a romantic, easy, but also stimulating read. Um, I don't know, maybe that's contradictory in a juxtaposition, but who knows? Just read it. End of my TED talk. Loki, I think it might be one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. Like, it's definitely up there with being my favourite novel. Not sure, but I'd say at least top three, because I just adored it so good next one up on my list we have sapiens in sapiens dr yuval noah harari spans the whole of human history from the very first humans to walk the earth to the radical and sometimes devastating breakthroughs of the cognitive agricultural and scientific revolutions drawing on insights from biology anthropology paleontology and economics he explores how the currents of history have shaped our human societies, the animals and plants around us, and even our personalities. Have we become happier as history has unfolded? Can we ever free our behaviour from the heritage of our ancestors? And what, if anything, can we do to influence the course of the centuries to come? Bold, wide-ranging and provocative, Sapiens challenges everything we thought we knew about being human. Our thoughts, our actions, our power and our future. Now, Sapiens has had some mixed reviews, but I personally loved it. He just writes so fluidly, it's almost just like reading a story. It's such an interesting way of looking at human evolution. And yes, obviously, while there's nothing really that profound or even that new about anything he's saying, I think he just writes in such a way that you can basically just hang on his every word because he's just so captivating. And I think it just makes understanding human nature really much more simple. It's just so informative and easy to digest. I've never been a massive fan of history books because I find them very dry, which is probably obvious by there's like basically no history books in what I read this year. Um, and I know this book is technically anthropology and not history, but still, point rests. This is actually a very interesting read, so I do highly recommend Next one on my list, we have The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. The Body is Not an Apology offers radical self-love as the balm to heal the wounds inflicted by these violent systems. World-renowned activist and poet Sonia Renee Taylor invites us to reconnect with the radical origins of our minds and bodies and celebrate our collective enduring strength. 
As we awaken to our own indoctrinated body shame, we feel inspired to awaken others in it to interrupt the systems that perpetuate body shame and oppression against all bodies. When we act from this truth on a global scale, we usher in the transformative opportunity of radical self-love, which is the opportunity for a more just, equitable and compassionate world for us all. I love this book. I'd say it's probably the best book I've read on self-love. Not that I've read tons, but I've read a decent amount. Um, But this one just hits different. She completely dismantles the barriers that prevent us all from loving ourselves and presents such a radically different view of what it means to actually love yourself. Her ideas are just beautiful. How many times in podcasts can I use the word beautiful? Only when I talk about books do I use the word beautiful. (laughs) It's... It's just, it's political, it's social, it's everything that we need to hear in the 21st century. And it just left me feeling so much more informed about what sort of relationship I want to have with myself. And proved to me that self-love doesn't necessarily mean narcissism, but it's about accepting your flaws and working with yourself rather than against yourself. So yeah, if you struggle with self-confidence or feeling undeserving or anything related to self-love or confidence or anything read this book because it really left me shook next one is the body keeps score now this wouldn't be one of my podcasts if i didn't talk a bit about psychology so this is the token psychology book so renowned trauma expert bessel van der kolk has spent over three decades working with survivors in the body keeps score he transforms our understanding of traumatic stress revealing how it literally rearranges the brain's wiring, specifically areas dedicated to pleasure, engagement, control, and trust. He shows how these areas can be reactivated through innovative treatments, including neurofeedback, mindfulness techniques, play, yoga, and other therapies. Based on van der Kolk's own research and that of leading specialists, Body Keep Score offers proven alternatives to drugs and talk therapy, and a way to reclaim lives. This was such an informative read. It very clearly and effortlessly explained trauma and how it impacts people's lives. I also really like the fact that it covered a wide range of different traumas and alternatives to sort of trauma therapy, shall we say. Because trauma therapy is definitely an area of psychology that really interests me because it is so sort of ever-evolving and there are just so many different ways now that you can treat trauma, like EMDR, which is eye movement, I think, I can't remember what the D stands for, like desensitization or something like that, therapy, so interesting. Um, and uh, trauma is just a really interesting area of psychology, I think. Um, I think my only criticism of this book would it be that it focused a bit too much on the most traditional forms of trauma, um, sort of like war veterans and rape victims. But I think that's mainly because it's a product of its time, obviously. Um, And there's a lot more research about trauma now. But if you feel like you have any experience of trauma or just want to know more about it, definitely give this one a go. I think it's definitely more on the more accessible side of psychology books that I've read. So it might be a good starting point if you want to read more about psychology in general um, and about a more sort of specified area, shall we say. Next one, we have The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Aging and reclusive Hollywood movie icon Evelyn Hugo is ready to tell the truth about her glamorous and scandalous life. 
but when she chooses an unknown magazine reporter, Monique Grant, for the job, no one is more astounded than Monique herself. Why her? Why now? Monique is not exactly on top of the world. Her husband has left her, and her professional life is going nowhere. Regardless of why Evelyn has selected her to write her biography, Monique is determined to use this opportunity to jumpstart her career. Summoned to Evelyn's luxurious apartment, Monique listens in fascination as the actress tells her story. From making her way to Los Angeles in the 1950s to her decision to leave show business in the 80s, and of course, the seven husbands along the way, Evelyn unspools a tale of ruthless ambition, unexpected friendship, and a great forbidden love. Monique begins to feel a very real connection to the legendary star, but as Evelyn's story nears its conclusion, it becomes very clear that her life intersects with Monique's own tragic, in tragic and irreversible ways. Oh my goodness, I absolutely adore this book. I literally read it in a day. I'm still obsessed with it. It's just so well written. Characterization is flawless. Plot is flawless. Just such a good story. Like, I have no words. It's hyped up for a reason. That's what I'm going to say. Um, like, 112 out of 10. So good. Um, I think just... I don't know. I just loved it. And I think only through reading it can you really understand how good of a book this is. Um, my friend just finished it and we were literally just gassing about it the other day. It's oh, so good. Love it. Love it. Next one is The Midnight Library. Somewhere out beyond the edge of the universe, there is a library that contains an infinite number of books, each one the story of another reality. One tells the story of your life as it is, along with another book for the life you could have had if you made a different choice at any point in your life. While we all wonder how our lives might have been, what if you had the chance to go to the library and see for yourself? Would any of these other lives truly be better? In the Midnight Library, Matt Haig's enchanting new novel, Nora Seed finds herself faced with this decision, faced with the possibility of changing her life for a new one. Following a different career, undoing old breakups, realising her dreams of becoming a glaciologist, she must search within herself as she travels through the Midnight Library to decide what is truly a fulfilling and what is truly fulfilling in life and what makes it worth living in the first place. Again, I literally read this book in the day. Um, and it was the first book that I read by Matt Haig. It's such a heartwarming story, and just, ironically, even though it is somewhat of a heavy subject matter, it's a very easy, light-hearted read. It has a lot of very meaningful aspects to it, and I think the overall premise of the book just really resonated with me. I won't spoil it, obviously, but it's a bestseller for a reason. And it talks so much about mental health and just like figuring out yourself and I think just the concept of regret and how to move over regret, you know? Um, so yeah, if it sounds like your vibe, definitely give it a go. But I'd recommend to everyone because oh, just so good. Oh, all of these books are just great. Reading is just great, am I right? Okay. We're getting near to the end of the summary. I think we've got two left. So I'll try and make it quick. <laughs> so next one is Siddhartha. Herman Hesse's classic novel has delighted, inspired and influenced generations of readers, writers and thinkers. 
In the story of a wealthy Indian Brahmin who casts off a life of privilege to seek spiritual fulfilment, Hess synthesizes disparate philosophies, Eastern religions, Jungian archetypes, Western individualism, into a unique vision of life as expressed through one's man's search for true meaning. This book was just a lovely read. Um, I think it's loosely based upon the Buddha, um, and it was just a good story. It taught me quite a lot about Eastern philosophy as well, um, and Buddhism, and just had a really good plot. There's a lot of life lessons in it, um, so it kind of just takes every box. It's also a very short book, so if you struggle with long stories, would definitely recommend this one. And I'm pretty sure this is the last one. We have The Path. For the first time, an award-winning Harvard professor shares his wildly popular course on classical Chinese philosophy, showing you how these ancient ideas can guide you on the path to live a good life today. Why is a course on ancient Chinese philosophers one of the most popular at Harvard? It's because the course challenges all our modern assumptions about what it takes to flourish. This is why Professor Michael Puitt says to his students, the encounter with these ideas will change your life. As one of them told his collaborator, author Christine Groslow, you can open yourself up to life. Um, no, open yourself up to possibilities you never imagined were even possible. These astonishing teachings emerged 2,000 years ago through the work of a succession of Chinese scholars exploring how humans can improve themselves and their society. And what are these counterintuitive ideas? Good relationships come not from being sincere and authentic, but from the rituals we perform within them. Influence comes not from wielding power, but from holding back. Excellence comes from what we choose to do, not our natural abilities. A good life emerges not from planning it out, but through training ourselves to respond well to small moments. Transformation comes not from looking within for a true self, but from creating conditions that produce new possibilities. In other words, the path upends everything we're told about how to live a good life. Above all, unlike most books on the subject, its most radical idea is that there is no path to follow entirely in the first place, just a journey we create anew at every moment by seeing and doing things differently. I love this book because it was genuinely so informative and interesting and just powerful i think if you can already tell i love philosophy um and eastern philosophy was severely lacking from our rs syllabus so i've really enjoyed learning about it more this book was exceptionally well written and it had such an optimal balance between narration and information it was just very clear and just a really interesting read there's so much value in eastern philosophy so if you want to read more, know more, I really recommend this book. So if you couldn't tell, I love reading, mainly because I consider reading to be somewhat of an art form. There's just nothing better than settling down with a good book on the sofa with a tea or coffee and just getting immersed in the page. I do a lot of reading on the train, actually, as well. Um, I'd say I always do my best reading on the train. I think just because I have like a definitive time slot to read in. So I just become so much more invested in what I'm reading because it's almost like a race against time. <laughs> Something that I've been thinking a lot about recently is whether we should just read classics because they're considered to be classics or we should just pick and choose what we read and read free freely, whether that includes classics or not. In my head, it kind of links back a bit to the aesthetic movement. Um, with the which has the motto like art for the sake of art 
I'm going to explain, um, and also, like, feel free to disagree, and if you don't understand what I'm trying to say, it's definitely me, not you, because I'm kind of, I feel like I can't really articulate this point that well yet. I think a lot of the time, we feel the need to read classics, because everyone says that you have to read them. So if you read them, so you read them with no purpose or interest, but mainly out of social obligation. And I think that the reason we do that is because these books have a level of status attached to them. They're classics because they're well written, have a clever plot line, or something in them that someone decided makes it a good book. But I disagree with that. All art is subjective, and I don't think books are any different. I think reading is so often used as a status symbol that reading just becomes an exercise that you just want to prove that you're reading and therefore intelligent. And I think that's an entirely useless exercise. <laughs> For example, I don't really like Jane Austen very much. I have nothing against her and obviously like I did read Pride and Prejudice this year. Um, but she's never been someone that I gravitate towards. Um... And I didn't really read anything of hers for years, despite the fact that I considered myself to be a relatively prolific reader. Now, does that mean that I don't appreciate English literature? And does that mean that I'm less sophisticated than someone who enjoys reading Jane Austen? The answer is no. Because we all get different things out of books, and we're reading for different reasons. And... Ultimately, we have different interests. Honestly, in my opinion, feel free to disagree, but Jane Austen can be very dry. Granted, I did read Prejudice and I didn't hate it, but I definitely have read far better books and gotten so much more out of them. Now, I don't really know what the point of this is, <laughs> but I think that's just a danger that reading can become a bit performative um, and that really just detracts from the beauty of it. So the overall message of this, just read what you want to read, honestly, and don't feel like you have to read things because they're notorious for being good things to read. Because life is too short to read books that you don't actually enjoy, and you don't have to prove to anyone that what you're reading is good enough, because who is setting that standard? Just live your life, read the books you want to read, and just go with it. So... This has been a very long episode. I thought it was actually going to be really short because I was literally just going to talk about books. But here we are at nearly 40 minutes. So I'm going to leave it there. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to follow. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to follow the podcast for future episodes. And I will be back to chat with you next week. Bye for now.